from the Seed Starting Studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another germinating episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks you bet your garden. Millions of first-timers have turned to gardening to escape isolation and to have a reason to get out of their jammies. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and on today's show, we'll continue to reveal how to successfully grow your own plants from seed. Maybe. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show, cats and kittens. That's right, potential guests are busy pampering their peppers. So we will take that heap and help it. Of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and astonishingly amazing aberrations. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, true believers, because it's all coming up faster than you not having to go back to the garden center to say you're sorry. Right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. At the end of the show, we will continue, perhaps even finish up your three-level instructions on how to successfully take a seed and turn it into a garden plant. It is so exciting. You won't want to miss it. And you won't as long as you stay tuned or listening or whatever on your device of choice. All right, time to get to those fabulous phone calls. Carol, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Hi, well, Mike. How are you, Carol? Good. How are you? I am just Ducky. Thanks for asking. Got to be sure Ducky keeps his mask on. We're keeping good protocol here on the show. And uh, where are you good? I'm in Sudbury, Massachusetts. Now, I know that name. What do I know it from? Uh, well, it's historic. <laughs> well, all, all of Massachusetts <laughs> is historic. I know. It's but like, other than that, it's there's like, not much. It's like Philadelphia. When I went to high school, right. um, friends of mine lived in homes from the 17th century, not because they were historians, but because they were cheap to buy. Right. Yeah. That's amazing. Sudbury. I, I know that for something, for some reason, there's a seed company there or something. Oh, Cavicchio's. Okay. A, they are, you know, a wholesaler mm -hmm. of plants. You see them all over the place. Oh, okay. It's, Good. So, so maybe... There's shattered pieces of my memory that come sliding into place every once in a while. That's, that's nice to know. All right, what can we do for Carol and Sudbury? Well, I had, uh, we, you know, with COVID, we've expanded our patio, and I had this gorgeous centerpiece rose right next to it that was just beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I, it's been there for years, but, you know, it was just in perfect shape. And it was blooming in October, mm -hmm. and I went out, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and it was laying flat on the ground. And I picked it up. I, I thought, oh, maybe it got, you know, I don't know. We haven't had that much snow, but I thought maybe something heavy fell on it. Um, so I tried to tie it up straight mm -hmm. and realized that there were absolutely no roots. Mm -hmm. 
they were gone. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, you picked it up, and you could see bite marks on the stem. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the ground doesn't even have, you know how many roots there's normally with a rose? The ground has no roots in it. That's right. They're all in the bellies of voles. <laughs> V-O-L-E-S. Also known as meadow shrews. They're about the size of mice, but they got little rat-like faces. And they don't really state their presence that much. They make little lanes in lawns. They, uh, they mostly work at night. And you'll see a little hole now and then, but nothing like from a, a mole or a groundhog. And they are prodigious. Um, the females have a litter, something like every six weeks. There can be six to 10 pups in a litter. So, um, you know, because they are basically feed animals, they're there for uh, raptors and owls and foxes uh, to chase down. So, um, now when you put in the new patio, what's the patio made of? Uh, Bluestone. Bluestone, okay. And uh, are any of the surrounding areas mulched? Well, I'm, I listen to your show, Mike. I really do. I've, that doesn't I mean use, you do anything about it. No, no. I use compost. I don't go near wood mulch. With, okay. You know, I use, I, that's what I wondered if I was using too much compost. I really just use compost now. No, voles love to hide under wood mulch. I'm sure they would hide under shredded leaf litter as well, but not, not with compost. There's really no difference between compost and the earth from a, a vole's point of view. Are any of your other plants um, affected? Well, not yet, but you know, of course, this fall I put in about 550 bulbs. <laughs> I read that, you know, they like to eat those too. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh no, and what about wait, peas? Wait, well, wait, wait, wait. What <laughs> kind of bulbs, Mrs. Bresky? Oh, my goodness. All different. I mean, I have some alliums because hopefully those are safe. Yes. Nobody eats those. Then I have tulips, tons of tulips, daffodils, and then I don't know. I just look at the pictures. (laughs) They all look so pretty. And, you know, I got carried Uh away with COVID. I have Uh all this time. (laughs) Well, you have the pictures, right? Yeah. So at least you'll be able to see the tulips that way. Oh, no, we do really think... Yeah, tulips are nutritious and delicious. Uh, They are loved by voles, uh, loved by rabbits. Deer love eating the blossoms. And squirrels, evil squirrels, love digging them up and moving them around and probably replacing them with black walnuts. But nothing will bother your alliums, fritillaria, or uh, daffodils. So, but, you know, it's, they're kind of in hibernation right now. They're not doing a lot. So what I would suggest is, well, there's a couple things we can suggest. Uh, The first would be, is there any kind of mulch on your bulb bed? Um, I've got, you know, I, I hate to say, I don't know what it is, but somebody gave, it's a natural, product that oh, so am uh, I I still wouldn't like to be used as a mulch <laughs> I know I'm 
sorry. I don't have, you know, the guy who put the patio in recommended it, so some of them have that on top of it. It's a small, it's not anything related to wood, I don't think. And it's, you know, it's a very fine, it actually gets blown away in the wind. Could it be sawdust? The mulch gets blown away. Yeah, could it be sawdust? No, it's not sawdust. Okay. It's I w- a product. He got it at Kaviki. <laughs> yeah, I would. I would it. try to find out what that was. Okay. Um, but if you want to give tulips your best chance, um, we urge people to mulch the beds right after planting with dog hair. Yes, so, I've heard you say that, and okay. I have three dogs. Three well, very hairy dogs. Well, there you <laughs> go. Brush uh, but them. that gets blown away too. No, it shouldn't. No, wet it down. Okay. Uh, when you put it down, it should stay in place. That's your best shot right now. You can okay. also try trapping them, which is going to work out best early in the season before they start to breed again. So, so you wanna... when is their season? Why are they doing this in the middle of winter? Well, uh, the middle of winter is, you know, it, 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 it's a kind of a hazy um, area. They probably did most of this a while ago. And then just, you know, something happened and the rose decided, well, I was merely dead. Now I'm really most sincerely dead. (laughs) But um, in that area and in the area where um, you have your bulb bed, get a couple of shoe boxes and cut little... Disney mouse holes or out of the bottoms, you know, like the Tom and Jerry mouse formations on the on the bottom of the walls in the cartoons. Okay, yeah. And inside put a bunch of regular snap traps for mice baited with peanut butter. And check them after a week or so. Um, they will come up to feed on warm days. Now, I don't know about you, we haven't gotten many warm days this winter. No, um, we've had really warm. It's, okay. I mean, it's like well, 20s at night, mm-hmm. but almost 40s during the day. Um, so do this with a couple of shoe boxes or a similar okay. thing. The reason we're not leaving the snap traps out in the open is we don't want birds to come to them. Okay, so uh, do, the, uh, do the dog hair mulch. Uh, put okay. out some snap traps, and the traps okay. will help you identify, but I'm absolutely certain you have voles. Okay. So, and for more ideas, go to the website, click on okay. answers to millions of your garden questions, and type in vole, V-O-L-E-S. Okay. And it is V as in Victor. Yes, exactly, not M okay. as in molar. Okay. All right, well, good luck to you. Thank you so much, Mike. You're the best. Yes, I, I love am. your show. Time for another phone call. Tom, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Well, thank you for making it, Tom. How are you doing? Uh, We're doing fine here. I hope you're doing well, too. I'm just ducky. Thanks for asking. Uh, Where is Tom doing well? I'm in New Orleans, and um, my question today is about the uh, crepe myrtle trees in New Orleans. Oh, okay. What section of uh, New Orleans are you in? I'm in the uh, Garden District. Ah, that's just what I was hoping for, that shh, those magnificent old homes with those big porches and all the botany surrounding them. That is a 
you know, tourists just stick to the French Quarter, but the Garden District is the place to go see. Oh, there's plenty of tourists that come. Uh, they ride the uh, St. Charles streetcar. Right, yeah. And, um, so what's wrong with your crepe myrtles? Well, Mike, last week I heard a story on the, our local news station where they interviewed the extension agent, and he said that the crepe myrtles in New Orleans were being infested with bark scale, mm -hmm. an insect that uh, produces honeydew. Mm -hmm. And that leads to the formation of a black fungus. Mm -hmm. So he recommended that you treat the trees with a root drench of the midocloprid. Oh, my So I looked goodness. that up, and it's this yeah, oh it's a systemic neonicotinoid. Yeah, it's an insect growth regulator. It is one of the many chemicals that is felt to be responsible for the decline of bees in America. And because it is a systemic, it would be taken up by the roots and it would go straight to the flowers on top. And then all the wonderful pollinating insects that feed on those flowers um, would die. And that's not even the basic recommended treatment um, for bark scale. What I would recommend, and I think any sane horticulturalist would recommend is, um, see, you're in New Orleans, so normally I would say what's called dormant oil, which you spray on trees in the winter time in places that get really cold. But luckily, over the years, um, lighter oils have been developed, what sometimes called summer sprays. And these are even better than dormant oil. Dormant oil is a petroleum product, but it's considered okay for use in organic agriculture because it's such a great alternative uh, to poisons. But the uh, summer sprays, the light horticultural oils, are refined from vegetable oil. So they couldn't get more natural. And any good horticulturalist or arborist would be happy to spray the trees uh, with a light horticultural oil, which in your climate, you can, you can spray any time. So there's no need to go to poisons. And the oils, uh, this treatment for this kind of insect has been used for centuries. And we know it works. I'm just surprised that you're having an outbreak of this kind of insect. It, it makes me think something's wrong with the environment. Well, you know, um, I took a walk around my house, and there must be 30 or 40 um, uh, crepe myrtles. Mm -hmm. And I saw a row of about three that had this kind of – it wasn't really uh, – a black fungus, but it was some kind of a, um, a almost like a moss growing on it. And that, those are the only ones. So, I mean, most of the trees around where we live um, are clear. So uh, it, I don't really know what the infestation is about. Yeah, I mean, I can't help you there. Somebody may have overreacted. Uh, there may be one section of New Orleans where conditions are, are ripe or something went wrong. Um, people sprayed excessively and killed natural predators. Um, but if you don't got a problem, don't fix it. 
you know, but if you do have bark scale show up, just remember um, the answer is to spray the tree with a light horticultural oil. Okay, and is bark scale deadly to the tree? Not in general. Generally, um, it's just another insect in the company of hundreds of thousands of other insects. It is great food for birds if they can get to them before the scale develop their armor about them. And it, it just natural predators uh, generally keep them under control. But no, I've never heard of scale uh, being anything other than a cosmetic issue. Okay. All right. Well, great. Thank you very much for the call. I appreciate you answering the question. All right. Thank you, sir. And you have a good season. Okay. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and once again warn everybody out there that seed and plant companies are running behind in getting their orders out, both due to increased demand and social distancing to keep the employees who pick and pack your order nice and safe. So please order early, be patient, and maybe allow substitutions if one or two of your chosen varieties is sold out. Ah, but don't go perusing your potential purchases just yet, because we'll be right back with more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden, from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and as promised, unlike most of my other promises I've made on this show, we will finish up our trilogy. No, not the Lord of the Rings, making you the Lord of the Seed Starters. Yes, it's time for the final segment, keeping the plants that you have somehow germinated Alive. Up until then, more of your fabulous phone calls. Brady, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Hey, Brady, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you? I am just Ducky. Thanks for asking. Ducky's a little out of reach here, so we got to bring him back. Sure, everybody, he's still wearing his mask, keeping Dr. Fauci happy. Um, where is Brady doing well? Uh, Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. What can we do for you, sir? Bought a house about five years ago and just started doing some landscaping projects, worrying about the outside stuff more. And, but since we moved in, we noticed we have, I, I found out it's, it's the zoysia grass. Mm -hmm. And it, it's just so ugly. I mean, it's the first grass to 
to die in the fall and late, you know, doesn't green up till late in the summer. It, it looks uglier more often than not. Just, I mean, it looks terrible. Yes. So you're calling it ugly because it goes tan when yeah. it's not warm enough. And yeah. I will say, in defense of your dislike of this plant, that mm-hmm. it was really never meant to be in a short season area. When I give my lawn care talks, for instance, I say that zoysia grass, unfortunately, is a warm season grass that doesn't die, no matter how cold it gets. But if you're up in like Minnesota, it's only green for about 10 days out of the year. (laughs) And you can't go on vacation. You can't go on summer vacation because you could miss it. How would you know it was dead or not? This is the time to attack it. Warm, yeah. warm season grasses are actively growing um, when the temperature reaches a certain level, the soil temperature. And, of course, the apogee and the perigee of the earth and all that fancy stuff, and the sun hits it at the right level. But wintertime, it is dormant. I mean, some of, you're not the only one who wishes it was dead, uh, yeah. but not dormant. But this is the time. Now, how big an area are we talking about? So the, the, the property is about an acre. My house, it sits up along the, the front of the property, along the road. So mm-hmm. there's just a small portion of yard in the front. Right. And that's where I'm most concerned about it because, I mean, it's, it's what everybody sees. Um, gotcha. And, but then in the back, it's a big open backyard. and You can see splotches of it here and there mm-hmm. it's not the only grass i mean there's it, and, and um back there yeah i mean i want to get rid of it over time but i'm more concerned about the the front which is about 20 feet by maybe 40 to 50 okay so for you know i don't know why this entered my head but years ago when there was a prolonged drought in san diego sales of green lawn paint um, went through the roof. You know, spray cans, go out and spray yeah. your, uh, your dead zoysia grass green, um, which would be cheating. But as we always <laughs> like to tell the young people watching the show, cheaters always win, kids, okay? Yeah. So this would be the time of year to dig it up out front. Now, there are natural herbicides. Um, But grass is tough to herbicide under any circumstances because most herbicides are what are called broad leaf herbicides. The chemical or the natural material adheres to a broad leaf like plantain um, or dandelion or something like that. And grass, of course, is millions of little spikes. So there's really not a lot for it to hold on to. uh, excavation is is really the best answer. And do you know what you want to plant out there? I don't. As far as grass, I don't. Um, I'll tell you. We we like I said. We we've been we added on the one side. We we covered up some of it with some raised beds and like the pathways. I just um, tarped down or used cardboard, put wood chips over them. Right. Um, I like that. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm really trying to take up as much space as far as garden is, you know, as much garden as I can get in. Um, 
But, I mean, yeah, we want to have a little bit of a yard out front. I'm wonder, And also what I've been doing is uh, just, I mean, I know it's clear to the dirt and then pack it down with stuff. Um, but, yeah, I mean, as far as the front yard, excavation, you're saying excavation is really the only way to, to it, get rid of it. It's almost as invasive as running bamboo. The yeah. rhizomes of this thing, once it gets going, are, are very aggressive. But um, it is to your benefit that it is dormant for such a long period of time. I love your idea. It's better than my idea of doing some hardscaping out there, planting mm-hmm. some raised beds. What you want to do is you want to mow this down below the ground. You want to see dirt yeah. blowing out the back of the mower. And then, as you said, single pieces of cardboard and make interesting um, raised beds out there. And Mm -hmm. if you cover the entire area, which doesn't sound too big, with cardboard, then you can have these raised beds and these interesting plantings. And in the lanes in between, you can simply put down um, some nice mulch, uh, a real arborist's mulch, uh, you know, chippings from tree trimming crews and things like that. And then you've got the walkways and, you know, and then you've got, you you can really make a nice display out there. In the back, you'll have to do some research here. But years, Mm -hmm. years ago, the National Mall, which is one of the, quote, grasslands or lawns that gets the most foot traffic in America, decided to do an experiment, and they seeded turf-type tall fescue in with existing zoysia grass. And the result was a grass, a lawn that looked very similar, if you know what I mean. It wasn't like a patchwork, uh, but yeah. it, was green all, it was green all year long. In the, in the hot and dry months of the summer, um, the, um, the zoysia grass predominated because, again, it can't be killed. And in the winter, the cool season fescue uh, took over. And it's my understanding that they have coexisted now for, for many years. So I would do some investigation of the Park Service because they, you know, you don't have to invent the wheel. They've already done it. They've already made their mistakes. They know how to do this. Uh, but mm-hmm. that might be the best thing for the backyard. I know, I yeah. know, you want people to see green the, grass out front. The backyard, honestly, I wouldn't be opposed to just turning it all into in-ground garden for mm-hmm. a season. And, you know, it might look funny in yeah, the places that we're trying to get rid of that grass. But, but um, Okay, then two yeah. things out front. Um, you mm-hmm. want to, no matter what, you want to overseed with the fescue around okay. where, where you are. You could start as soon as August 1st. Yeah. But okay. August 1st to August 15th to August 30th, that's the prime time to get a cool season grass down um, with the goal of having it be very vigorous over time. And then, really, all you have to do is install deep edging uh, around the parts of the lawn that are still lawn that you don't mind being lawn. And then yeah. hopefully you'll get that green look all year long and the deep edging will keep the zoysia from spreading. 
Um, the benefit of the fescue is it's not a spreading grass. It's not going to move. It's just going to be where you plant it. Okay. All well, right, man? Yeah, I think that was the biggest thing is knowing if something would coexist with that. Cause, yeah, um, and again, yeah, it's, it's a mess. And again, there's always green paint. The spray paint, what is it? Uh, <laughs> Rust-Oleum. Rust-Oleum. Yeah, go, go check the we'll, colors we'll, on that. We'll keep that as a backup plan. All right. Good luck to you, sir. All right. Time for another phone call. Steve, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Calling in from Hartford, Connecticut area. Excellent. And uh, um, what's, what's it like out there? Oh, uh, we just had a good snowfall. Just finished with the snowblower, and it's all settled down in place. Okay, good. We're due for two more snowfalls. Okay, yeah, well, you're used to it, right? Well, it's been rather dry these last few years. This is the first time we had several snowfalls in such a short period of time, but, yeah, enjoying it. Okay, good. I'm not enjoying it. <laughs> I am sick of shoveling and waiting for the township to plow me in again. All right. What can we do for Steve from New England or Connecticut? Okay, I'm trying to solve a problem. Yeah. Um, I am terrible at protecting my plants, my house plants, when I put them out for the summer. Mm -hmm. And they always get gorged. I understand the whole idea that you're supposed to harden them off and be careful and that kind of stuff. But that's not in my nature. Mm -hmm. So I want to build or assemble a protected area using um, frames, aluminum frame from a gazebo that I bought locally. It's a folding type thing. Mm -hmm. And then figure out a cover that would go on that would block most of the sun. Mm -hmm. And I've got a couple of ideas. One uh, was some kind of a, um, like the, the hoop things that you talk about that material might go over on top if i could just sew a large square and drape it over mm -hmm. um another thing i might do is i have been collecting lats from venetian blinds and i'm thinking of making two racks one both of them identical but they will fit on top of each other and be slidable to give me a gradient of sunlight or total shade huh um, I'm not, not sure where to go with that yet. That sounds like a bit of work, but yeah, I, I think it could work, especially for my, especially for my tomatoes, which I want to keep the noonday sun off of. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now we're all over the place. First, you're yes, we are. first you're talking about house plants, and now you're talking yes, about tomatoes, which need no uh, shade so in Connecticut. I mean, we'd have okay, we'd, yeah. we'd have to be talking so much further south or out west for you to get that kind of intense afternoon, early afternoon sun. No, in Connecticut, your tomatoes need all the sun they can get, so they're off the table. You don't need to be able to shade them. Now, let's get back to your house plants. Remember that these yep. are plants that are specifically bred or chosen to survive in low light conditions over the winter. So, of course, they, well, are, they are going to experience sun scald if they go out into full sun, which is why when we're paying attention and giving advice about taking houseplants outside, 
you always want to try to position them in dappled shade. They love being outdoors for the summer, but they don't want full sun. They want to be like underneath uh, a tree or in an area that only gets morning sun for a little bit and then gets shaded. Like under a maple tree. Yeah. So, you, you know, it sounds like you want to build a, a rocket ship or something out there, and you're perfectly welcome to. And, <laughs> and I will tell you that professional um, plant growers have a material called shade cloth. And when it gets to be intensely in the summer, depending on what plants they have, they will drape this shade cloth over, you know, just hoops, you know, just a, a little hoop house. Mm -hmm. And it is not expensive to buy. You can talk to your local independent garden center and they can explain the different grades of shade cloth. I've never used it myself. But it's my understanding that there okay. are there are many quote versions. There's twenty percent, forty percent, sixty percent, eighty percent. So, and then if they know the kind of plants that you're moving outside, they would recommend a certain percentage of shade cloth. And like I said, it okay. wouldn't be expensive, and it's made to be draped over big hoops. Like if you've ever seen these hoop houses that uh, market gardeners use anything like that but um i i think that's what you want you start to get involved with those venetian blinds i i i see one of those great darwinian episodes on reality tv but i'm not sure that your plants would love it i forget who's the guy with great big contraptions that do nothing <laughs> um oh, who was he rube goldberg he did some great drawings yeah goldberg, that's it rube goldberg yeah Famous. Well, Goldberg is in my blood. <laughs> well, the idea here is that these plants, you're correct, they were never meant to be exposed to full sun. So whatever you can well, do. Most people just naturally position them where they're going to be in uh, what's called dappled shade, which is perfect for them. Most of these plants were understory plants in the wild where they originated. Well, the nature of these plants is that they're by the time midsummer rolls around, they're totally adapted to full bright sunlight. I mean, I have yucca trees. Okay, that that's that's not a, both sun and shade. Right, that's not a normal house plant. True, <laughs> and you're probably no, not I, a normal I don't guy. Have a normal but, house. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, with uh, with the um, shade cloth, if you feel that uh, you know a couple of months of protection. Um, you can you simply pull it off um, and then roll it up and have it again yeah. for next season. It's a, it's a can of corn. Okay, so my answer is to look in the shade cloth, but I think you're suggesting that use of the tree is going to be much better in the long run. Yeah, no investment, uh, and of course, yeah. same thing. If you feel that they're not getting enough sun, you move them further out from the train. Yeah. All right, man. Okie dokie. Very good. Thank you. My pleasure. Yep. Thank you. Take care. Well, it's time for me to take another little break and announce that the phone number we always say you can call anytime. Well, you can call it, but it won't work because it's been on the fritz these last couple of weeks. We expect the problem to be solved shortly and kindly suggest you visit the show's website for the announcement of our brand new phone number. Darn, just as I was finally learning the old one. 
But don't go ring-a-ding-dingin' just yet, because we'll be right back with the final steps to seed-starting success and more of your successful phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in, where else? Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society. Plants and gardens can have an enormous impact on our everyday lives. At PHS, they believe that a seed can be more than a plant and that gardening can be more than a hobby. PHS is working to plant with purpose and help build healthier communities. Learn more about involvement at phs.org impact. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. From the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we will get to part three of our incredible trilogy designed to make you a successful seed starter. You won't want to miss it, and you won't. It's coming up after a couple more of your fabulous phone calls. Mike, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Yo, Mike, how you doing, man? All right, Mike. How are you, sir? Hi, uh, Mike. I got to tell you, I'm pretty ducky. <laughs> I missed my cue. I am ducky as well. Yeah, it's been a long day. What can I tell you? All right, where are you, Mike? Uh, well, originally I am from Glenside, Pennsylvania, right outside of Philadelphia, but I am currently residing in Dallas, Texas. Okay, that's a very different uh, kind of a climate there. What can we do um, Absolutely. for Mike, previously from Glenside, home of the famed Glenside Theater, and now in Dallas, Texas? Well, I had a question about uh, pepper seedlings. I uh, I was looking on the Internet, and I uh, I keep seeing people talking about topping off their pepper seedlings to try to promote outside branching and other growth. Um, I currently have seedlings going right now. They're about eight, nine weeks old, and I'm starting to see a bunch of flowering. Um, so my question was, is it appropriate to top them off, or do I just leave them, or should I be pinching the flowers back, or like what should I, what exactly should I be doing with them? Um, just congratulating yourself on the fact that you've done an excellent job so far. Um, one of the things I love to do and I love to talk about is perennializing uh, pepper plants. I grow all my peppers in medium-sized spots. Spots? Spot-a-pots. No, don't grow them in spot-a-pots. They'd get too big. I grow them in medium-sized pots so that when it starts to get chilly, I bring them inside to an insulated porch, hang a big light over them, and they continue to flower and fruit for me throughout the winter. So there is absolutely nothing wrong with you allowing the flowers uh, to exist. And then, uh, almost certainly, because peppers are very much self-pollinating, um, you'll start to get little baby peppers. So the only thing that I would suggest in your case is that you be exceptionally careful when you transplant them outside. Um, Dallas, uh, when is your normal outside planting date? Like uh, May 1st, something like that? Uh, typ typically, I, th I believe our last frost date is uh, right around March 17th. Um, 
And last year we had a pretty pretty mild winter, so I had everything out uh, right around the 14th of March. Um, so I, I started them early December, planning on 12 weeks for, the, mm-hmm. for them to get out, and I'm planning on right around right around the 17th. But uh, obviously, you got to play it by ear, see what the weather's like. Exactly. So if you if that's worked for you in the past, that's good. But as you're contemplating taking them outside, look at the 10-day forecast and only look at the nighttime temps. If you see anything below 50, do not take peppers or tomatoes outside because you'll actually stunt their growth. You know, these are really tro- okay. these are really tropical plants that thrive in warm weather. And the nice thing about peppers is they're not sprawly like tomatoes. You know, they're very well behaved. So it's not that big a deal to keep them inside until the nights get a little bit warmer. But when you do decide to take, okay. take them outside, I don't know if you do this already, but I recommend hardening off, you know, taking them outside, even if it is just taking them outside and leaving them in their containers for a day or two to get acclimated to the... Yeah. To the different, I typically, I typically harden them all for a week, increase, increasing the time, um, you know, each day a little bit, and then by the end of the week, um, I'll leave them out overnight, and also keep an eye on them to see how they're um, reacting to the, you know, the outside. Very good. And then the only thing I would suggest is you have really soft hands when you plant the peppers. Um, when, once they do have flowers on them and fruits on them, they're a little more sensitive. And you also want those, uh, you know, peppers, even in your um, region, are a very long season crop, especially if you're going to let them get ripe and not pick them green. So be very gentle when you plant them. And if you, if you want to do what I do, plant a couple of them in pots and plan to bring them back inside over your excuse for a winter uh, down there. Uh, because peppers are something you don't... I actually, I, Go ahead. I actually, uh, I did, I did five, uh, five peppers uh, plants in uh, five-gallon buckets last year. And um, I've been taking them, whenever it gets down to about 35 or 37, I've been taking them, putting them in the garage, and I'm still actually getting fruits off of them right now. Yeah. I, w- I would ixnay the five-gallon buckets. They are ugly. That's um, much too big a container for pepper plants. Um, so whatever you're filling the buckets with, you're wasting it. And it's, it's really hard to get good drainage, and they are ugly. I mean, they are the modern version of planting in an old toilet you got sitting out by the road. So, you know, I would say, <laughs> you know, I would say reach into your wallet when, once the moths stop flying out and go and buy a, just a couple of quart-size um, uh, pots and fill them with good quality potting soil. And then they're so much easier to bring in and move out. All right, man? Okay, great. Sounds like you're doing good, though. I appreciate you, Mike. My pleasure. You take care. Thank you, sir. All right, it is time for the question of the week. Seed starting part three, keeping your transplants alive. Now, when last we left Luke and Leah, they were hot on the trail of their friend, Han Solo, frozen in carbonite, while they desperately try to figure out who is actually related to who in this movie. Oh, and wait a minute, that's the wrong part three. 
<clears throat> For instructions on how to plant your seeds and how to provide the light they need, see episodes one and two at your local theater or the Gardens Alive website. We now address the third act of our passion play, making sure you avoid finishing up like that skier experiencing the agony of defeat on the opening of the wide world of sports. All right, we have sprouted plants. They're under lights. Now what? Ah, now, grasshopper, you must become one with the green, or at least pay more attention than you do to most of the other things in your life. Have you ever cleaned either side of that car's windshield? Seriously, how can you tell if it's day or night outside? Hey, watering. This is the trickiest part. And the same as with houseplants, weight or the lack thereof is your best indicator. If your containers feel heavy, back off. If they feel light, water them well. Ideally, by setting them in a sink filled with a few inches of water for an hour. If this is your first dance, avoid watering from above. And never let your starts remain saturated completely for days at a time, or they will fall prey to damping off disease, which indicates that you were a poorly piloted helicopter parent. As the great 14th century master of swordsmanship, Miyamoto Mushashi explains in his classic work, The Book of Five Rings, understand the process and train well in this perspective. And yes, 14th century Japanese swordsmanship and seed starting are very close to being the exact same thing. To quote the master, this must be studied diligently. Feeding. If you have started with a clean potting mix that contains no fertilizers whatsoever, natural or synthetic, be assured that seeds begin life as plants with a large energy reserve. In fact, very little of a seed contains the genetic information that will produce either a pepper, a tomato, a marigold, or a morning glory. Most of the seed contains the nutrients that will get those baby plants off the ground for the first month or so. Trust the plants. At around week three or four after germination, begin watering with a dilute liquid organic fertilizer, worm castings, or compost tea. Let's say you do this every other watering. More often for slow-growing plants and less often for vigorous plants with a healthy green color and the desired short and stocky appearance. That's right, cats and kittens, you now have to make decisions based on your own observations and instincts. As we have said in the previous episodes on this subject, relax. And if you fail, learn from that failure and do it better next year. Plants whose potting soil contains natural nutrients, like worm castings, can go longer without being fed by you. Plants whose potting soil contains hazardous chemicals like miracle Grow or Osmocote will be cursed by the gods and do not belong in any rational being's garden. Potting up. Plants that stay relatively small, like peppers, can probably stay in their original containers unless those containers were really teeny tiny small. 
Plants that grow big and fast, like tomatoes and pumpkins, will benefit from potting up into larger containers around week four or five. With most plants, you should place fresh potting soil in the bottom of the new container and then fill in the sides to keep the plant at the same height. With tomatoes, and only tomatoes, place the bottom of the root ball at the bottom of the new container and then fill in the sides. Continue to do this through any such exchanges up to and including actual planting. Always plant tomatoes deeply. Timing, both the essence of comedy and seed starting. The only plants I start early are the ones that take a frustratingly long time to get to a decent size, like peppers and eggplant, which I have begun starting in January in my USDA Zone 6. Aggressive growers like tomatoes should not be started early, as they will become too big to manage. Depending on your own personal USDA growing zone, most plants should be started from seed approximately eight weeks before it'll be safe to transplant them outside. That means a mid-March starting time for me. It'll be a little later if you live in a lower zone, which means colder winter temperatures, and a little earlier if you live in a warmer zone. I would call you warm zoners cowards at this point, but I am officially sick of shoveling snowstorm after snowstorm, and I now fantasize about joining you down in the Carolinas. Heck, if I could afford San Diego, I'd be there in a New York minute. And finally, we come to the rule of 50s. Your local county extension office, various websites, and that creepy guy down at the end of the block with 15 junk cars under the high-tension lines next to his house will offer various opinions on your last average frost date. This number is useful for seed starting, but not for planting. Do not move your babies outside until you get close to that date, and the 10-day forecast predicts nights that remain reliably in the 50s. Well, that sure was some interesting information about starting healthy starts now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over at your leisure or your leisure, just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be YouBetYourGarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to sabotage my starts if I don't get out of the studio. We must be out of time, but there's plenty of time for you to send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please include your location. You'll find all of this contact information and hopefully our new phone number at our website, youbetyourgarden.org, where you'll also find the answers to all your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of previous shows, details on how you can get your own little lucky duck, 
and our internationally renowned podcast. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he awoke one morning to discover that he had been turned into a giant cockroach. Ken Queter plays our theme music. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our sound engineer is Jersey Fresh Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Tavia Minnick is our peerless producer of Profound Production. The always lovely Jonas Bowen is our audio editor. Judicious Jake Boyer does the video. Our directorial director of direction is the harassed and harried Javier Diaz. Andy Cummins continues to take our temperature at the door. The star of I Was a Teenage Frankenstein, Zach the Takwasneski, is in the house, ably assisted by the usual gang of idiots, including Eric Werner, Jacob Morris, Jeff Frederick, and many more too expensive to mention. Our CEO, terrifying Tim Fallon, is currently hosting a sports book on the outcome of the soon-to-be-released Godzilla vs. King Kong movie. All winners will be paid off with obviously bogus gift cards. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, growing pepper plants indoors, dreaming of spring, and chopping up ice dams on my roof. Except next time, I won't stand directly in front of the freezing cold burst of water I have just released. And if I remember to do that, I just might see you again next week. The best place for the baby plants you've been growing to be planted is in a raised bed, of course. But what's the best stuff to have inside that bed? I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next You Bet Your Garden, we'll reveal why the answer does not include any of your existing soil. Plus your fabulous phone calls. That's on the next thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden.